Welcome to the Influence Podcast. My name is Tom Yanni. You might know today's guest as the internet's favorite dad, or better yet, Brittle Star, also known as Stuart Reynolds. Hundreds of thousands of people tune in to watch Stuart's videos every week. Over 600 million views across his platforms to date. From politics to vaccines, Black Friday deals, to breaking down the meaning of WAP to parents, which is wet, ah, you can Google that. Anyways, Stuart's wit, humor, and satirical talents have made him a staple in the influencer marketing space. On this episode, Stuart joins us to talk about the evolution of the influencer economy, tackling major social issues through social media, and the anatomy of a great brand partnership. Enjoy. Do you like being called Stuart or Brittle Star in this type I'll, of format? It doesn't, I'll, I'll answer to anything, so it doesn't matter. Whatever you feel comfortable. Would it, if you feel stupid saying Brittle Star, then that's then say Stuart. <laughs> if you feel stupid you saying Stuart... That's actually a really an interesting place to start because I've known you for quite some time, actually, for a mm-hmm. number of years here. And I've been admiring your work from afar for a while. We've had an opportunity to do some collaborations between yourself and our agency mm-hmm. here, too. I never asked you this question of all the times that we chatted or whatever. How did you get the name Brittle Star? Well, the name came about because uh, back in 2004, I decided I was going to make an album, and uh, like a, a music album. I thought, well, no one's going to wear a t-shirt with Stuart Reynolds on it. I couldn't imagine people chanting, Stuart Reynolds, Stuart. It just didn't seem really cool. So my oldest son, Owen, was about three at the time, and he had a uh, Marine Life book. And in the Marine Life book, we'd read before bed, there were these spindly starfish that uh, can see through their tentacles and I'm air quoting that and they uh, defecate out of their mouths and I was like that's cool so they're called brittle stars and I thought well I'll just jam the name together and make it brittle star so that's kind of where it came from and then when when I started doing social stuff I just had all the socials and all the domain names and I was like well I'll just stick with these for now because I already have them and uh, it's easier to remember and, uh, and and it's worked out so far cool well that's actually a perfect segue because I can speak from the agency side there's not a ton of content creators who are also fathers and you're like an OG. You got into this sort of like right out of the gate. And I'm wondering how your relationship with social media has evolved from a point of trying it out for the first time to thinking like, you know what, I actually kind of have some fun with this to the point where, well, I can create some pretty interesting media towards building an audience. How did that sort of all happen for you? You know, in 2013, when I made this into a job, like I've been doing it full time as a gig for eight and a half years. And there's just something about it. I mean, I'd always, I'd always been interested in online market in general, uh, right from like 92 on and 95, I tried to start my own online company. And then 98, I did start an online company and we had that for quite a while. And then that kind of all fell apart. And then in 2013, when I started doing Vine, it was like weird because we, when we experienced success in 2013, sort of starting there, all of my peers and colleagues as such in social media were less than half my age. And I would get comments on my videos where I'd get, you know, like when I started on Vine, uh, the six and a half second looping app, I would get to, it was largely eight to 13 year olds who were on the app. That and the whole bunch of porn was basically on the app at the beginning. I didn't do any porn at the time. I felt that wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. So I didn't do any porn. You know, I used to get comments from these kids. They'd be like, you're like 40. And I was already 43. So I was like, yeah, I'm like 40. That's right. It's the moisturizer. That's what it is. Great skin routine. Exactly. It's so important. It's so important. 
you mentioned it, like social media is often viewed as a young person's game in terms of like who grew up with it. And I'm old enough to remember life before the internet and then sort of coming of age through the internet and then seeing it evolve from sort of websites to bloggers emerging and whoa, there's this sort of alternative form of media where people can create their own and then social media taking off sort of 2007 onwards. But really like 2013 influencer marketing, it didn't have that name if it, you know, it wasn't really a thing. And especially for a gentleman that was an adult, like you were saying, you wouldn't have had many contemporaries. Like you probably no, didn't have many, many people that uh, were sort of walking the same path as you. I what do your friends you, think? Well, I mean, they just don't understand it. I actually went out for a beer with a friend last week uh, for the first time really since the pandemic. And he said, you know, I still don't have any idea what you do and how you get paid. And I'm like, that's fine. I mean, it's certainly really weird. When I started though, there wasn't a lot of people, grownups doing it, but there were a handful of people. Like there was a guy on Vine called Bottle Rocket who's still on Twitter and does lots of stuff there. And I saw him and he's younger than me, but I was like, oh, he's like a dad and he's doing stuff. And then I also saw Josh Darnett and even like Jason Nash and people like that where it's like, oh, okay, these guys are like, you know, kind of my age and they're doing it and having fun. And I was like, well, I'm going to give it a try and see if I can do it as well. It's true. It is kind of like a younger person's thing. But I think what what was really interesting is, of course, like there was this notion that you had to be this young person to create social media. But of course, young people don't have necessarily the same appeal to an older market. And as more and more grownups came on board to social media, they were kind of like, well, where's our entertainment? Where's like, where's somebody who's representing me and reflecting back what I'm doing? And I think luckily I've kind of been able to fill that niche, which I'm glad and grateful to have done. So you're a creative guy. You can see, obviously, you, you talked about being into music, and you, it seems like somebody that has always been interested in creating. At what point did you realize that creating media and deploying that through social could actually be your career, could actually be what would pay the bills? Basically, when I started doing making videos on Vine, I was doing it for my own like mental health. I realized I hadn't literally hadn't smiled in days. I was driving downtown, and I was like, oh... I don't think I've smiled and I can't remember smiling. And when you've got, you're a dad and you still have some young kids, you're like, well, that's not good. That's not a good sign. So I wanted to do something to make myself smile. But I had no idea. So that's why I made the videos. And I had no idea you could actually make money from the videos. And then I watched some of the people I was starting off, you know, in Vine sort of getting occasionally to be like doing like a dentine ad or something. I'd be like, oh, this is interesting. And still had no idea how to go about it. And those people had a lot more followers. They were younger than me and all that kind of stuff. And uh, much hipper and uh, cooler than I am. Then rolling around in like August 2013, I got a Disney tweeted me, someone from Disney. And I confirmed they were actually from Disney. And then I, I messaged them back and forth and we ended up emailing and then having a phone call. And it was Disney who were like, well, listen, we'd like to hire you for this event that's happening in California. You make a bunch of videos up there in Canada, then we'll fly you down to California. I was like, oh, I'll have to tell my family. They're like, no, 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 your family can come too. I was like, oh, okay. I'd never been to California at that point. We couldn't afford, you know, the thought of us going anywhere, we just couldn't have have afforded to do anything. We couldn't go to Disney World in Florida, never mind go to Disneyland in California. And we couldn't go to Canada's Wonderland, never mind anything else. (laughs) And they said, we'll pay for your family to fly down. We're going to pay for your hotel. We're going to pay for your food. Uh, You're going to have a ton of fun doing this thing. You're going to be down there for about nine days or whatever it was, or seven days or something. And then also we're going to pay thousands of dollars. And I remember like pausing and thinking, is this a setup? Is this like, am I getting, am I getting tricked? Because I thought there's no, I thought there's no way someone is going to pay me thousands of dollars. In the Not someone, Disney. 
I know, and not just someone, Disney, exactly. And I, I, the fact that, you know, it's like, God, I've been doing this stuff for free. Now someone wants to pay me to do it. And I'm probably still doing it for free, but I guess, okay, I kind of understood the idea of, like, they were great to work with as, as a first brand partner because they were basically saying, don't change what you're doing, just do what you do, but put us in there somehow. And I was like, oh, I get that. I understand that. And that makes sense. So that was kind of the first experience of getting paid to do that kind of stuff. And, it, and, and that was August 2013 leading into the fall of 2013. And uh, it was certainly hasn't been all smooth sailing since then. I mean, there was like about three months after that where nothing came along. And I was like, well, I guess that's it. That's all we're going to get. But then I got asked to do some branded uh, work with a, a dating app. And I was like, this seems stupid. I'm a married man, evidently a married man with uh, children. But uh, you would like me to prom you know, promote your dating app. But I was like, you know what? I know what else I like? I like paying my electric bill and my mortgage. So yes, I will do these these ads for you. And how'd it work out? Well... It weirdly worked out well because it was a terrible fit. It made no sense for the dating app to be hiring me whatsoever. It was just silly. It is not thought out. They were still operating on that media buy mentality of like, oh, how many followers do you have? Great. Then our message goes out to that many followers without seeing if it made any alignment sense, brand alignment sense. And uh, the last one I did for them I was like, I was resigned. I was like totally resolved to be like, never work with them again. No, I can't do it. It's bad. I'd spoken to people in, in at Vine in New York and they were like, don't do these ads. Like you should, you should be getting more money for better brands. And I wasn't going to do one. And then I, we were up at the cottage, my wife's family's cottage. And I really wanted a motor for their rowboat that was up there. And they, the dating app said, would you do it this weekend? We'll pay you this weekend. I was like, Okay, I'll do I'll do one more <laughs> and I'll go to Canadian Tire and I will buy I'll buy a motor for this boat, which is what I did. But I thought I have to make this ridiculous because my last one I'm gonna do. And so they had this feature which was like, you know, like hot friends near you. Like when you sort of like it's it's of like course. a little thing, you know, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Of course. So it's like hot friends near you. And then I'm uh in the video, I'm in the middle of the woods. And I open up the app and then I'm like, ah, oh, and it, the screen comes up with hot friends near you. And it's just woodland creatures. I've like, I photoshopped <laughs> their thing and it's no longer just like sexy looking people. It's just woodland creatures like a deer, a rabbit, squirrel. And my only line is, that squirrel looks kind of hot. And then it cuts away <laughs> to the end of the video. And anyway, it did 22 million views, which was really, really great. But it was like, that was the last time I worked with them. I was like, nah, guys, I'll get one one of those. That's it. So That's the Costanza go out on a high moment. You that's just the, that's you the nailed key. it. 22 yeah. million. Thank you. All that's right. right. Thanks so much for the motor that doesn't work anymore. Well, that's actually such an interesting story too, because I'm sure you've done a, obviously it's been eight years. You would have done a lot of partnerships at this stage of some that were ridiculously successful, some that you're probably not as proud of. <laughs> it's just swings and roundabouts. Yeah, that's for sure. The name of the game. I'm sure at this point you probably have a pretty good feel and sort of like rhythm for when it, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good one for me. And there might be some where you're like, nah. Like, what's your gauge of when this is the right fit for Brittle Star? Well, I think obviously, like when we get approached by brands or agencies, we'll be like, does it make sense for our audience? Like, does it make sense for me to be shilling this product? Like the. If, if it's a weird fit, you'd be like, ah, no. Or even if it's a product, I'm like, no, this is a crappy product. Then I won't do it because it doesn't make any sense. And, and I mean, the whole thing about creating, I think someone asked this recently of me. I do have like 90 to 95% of my content is original unpaid content. So it might be monetized at some point, but there's no brands. No one's paying me to make it. I'm just making it on my own. I'm doing that. And as part of the fruits of that effort is that I'm building this trust relationship with the audience. 
So if I come in with some, some sort of weird discordant brand alignment that doesn't make any sense whatsoever out of left field, people are like, oh, and it kind of like breaks the trust a little bit. So they end up not enjoying the other stuff and then it makes it harder for me to benefit from that relationship later on. So that's the first consideration is that brand alignment. And the second thing that lets me know if something's going to go well or not is how hands-off the brand is when they're working with me. The more, or the agency, when the agency or the brand work with me, and they're all over messaging, they're all over call to action. I've now gotten to the point in my career, I'm air quoting that, along with the seeing tentacles, I'm air quoting career. I'm now fortunate enough to say, I can say to the brand and the agency, you're ruining the ad. Like this is like not going to work because now it's evidently an ad. It's now forced. It's now not my words. It's now not what I would do. And, you know, you give them that option. But at the same time, you know, that's it's great to stick to your principles, but every time I try to pay my mortgage at Scotiabank with principles, they're like, just take the job. That's fair. And I would tend to agree, bankers don't tend to be as uh, <laughs> friendly towards they're all about the money. Like, yeah, they're yeah, just about, just they just want money all the time. Ridiculous, the really. It is. It is. Like, they want, I mean, like, look at my good intentions. And they're like, no, no, that doesn't pay your mortgage. That's a podcast for another day, these damn bankers. But I am wondering, I mean, there had been a lot of lessons that would have been learned along the way, and you just outlined a couple of them. Have you ever had an experience with an agency or a brand that taught you a lesson where you're like, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again? Yeah. I mean, there's some obvious, like really base things, like any work we do with a brand now, there's always a written script and concept that gets approved before we even bring out the cameras because there's this mistaken notion sometimes from some agencies or brands that they're getting a TV commercial really, really cheap. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how it works. So but the trade-off for like being able to do social video is that, like for example, I'm I'm weather dependent. If you want me to do something outside, I'm weather and light dependent. Never mind my schedule on top of that. So it's like if you want me to do reshoots, well, you might have to wait like two weeks until this like crappy bit of weather goes past. So it's more practical, we've learned, to say to the brand agency, uh, we're going to do a written script. We're going to get approval on the script. We're going to make sure you're happy with every single word and direction on this script so you know what's happening. Then we'll shoot it. And we can trim up the edits and all that kind of stuff of the video, but we're not reshooting it. You're not, you're, I'm not going to give it to you and you're not going to say, you know what, it'd be better if you said this. It's like, well, it's too late. That, that's a brand new project yeah. then. So I think that's one of the things we've learned is just kind of be upfront about that because we just don't have the budget to continually reshoot or the, it's not practical because like I said, you know, we're light and weather dependent for a lot of outdoor shoots. So it's like, well, it might be snowing next week. So it's going to look really weird if suddenly in the middle of this video, it's like snowing and it had been like 20 degrees otherwise. I think that's one of the things we've learned. And we also learned that it's really important again to like not betray the trust of your audience. You've built up a trust with original content and you have to make sure that when a brand approaches you and wants to work with you as a creator, does it align? So we've done work with, say, like Vessi Shoes or something or HP or something. It's like, well, this is all stuff that we would, as consumers, like, as, like I would as a consumer, as a person, I'd be involved in that stuff. I would like this stuff. I would do that stuff. So it kind of makes sense uh, in that regard. And I think that's more important than you realize. And it's a really hard lesson to learn as a creator because one of the th hardest things for me initially was to think of myself as a brand. And then now that I've been doing it for so long, I see myself as a brand. I know who my brand, what my brand is online and what it means to people when they see me, what they can expect and all that kind of stuff. And then protecting that brand by making sure you're not aligning with someone else or another brand that doesn't make any sense or, I don't know, is going to somehow damage your brand. It's an interesting calculation to have to make. And one thing that, I'm going to pay you a compliment now, one thing that you do, which 
is bold in the best way and pretty rare and risky as well is that you're very much willing to take on difficult topics and you're willing to tackle challenging social discussions and then to try to bring people from both ends of the social sphere together to form a basis of understanding about whatever it is. I think one that jumps out to me more recently was around Canada Day this past year. Obviously, there was a lot of terrible, terrible news around residential schools and, mm-hmm. and different things and systemic challenges that have existed between the Canadian government and the Catholic Church. And you took that head on. And mm-hmm. I know those types of topics, most people are at least nervous to address. But I, I just referenced one. I can think of many that I've seen you address, which are tough topics that you take and go after head on. When did you make the decision that you were willing to kind of step into the fire right now? Because you're And even BLM last summer too, in the summer of Mm -hmm. 2020, you were on that. And a lot of people are nervous to tackle some of these things, but you really just face it straight on. Well, I think what changed for me, there's a couple of things. One is what changed for me maybe about sort of four-ish years ago was looking at what was happening in the world and going, well, we've kind of walked past the the politics of this. It's not a case of someone happens to see something differently than you. We're now into kind of what I saw or see it that still see as kind of like we're now kind of into basic rights and wrongs here. Like if people are getting harmed, are they getting are they being treated unjustly? Well, this is no longer a political view. This is just like that's not good. That's not a good thing. So I think I saw some other creators and celebrities who, you know, were we know and work with sometimes and they were terrified to rock the boat. And I'm not saying I'm particularly smart because I think I'm sure it's probably cost me something at some point. But I think there's a real danger. And I think some of those people, those creators and celebs that we know that have worked with stuff, have found that there's a real danger in pandering to an audience who are evidently not in the right. And they're evidently okay with terrible things. And when you pander to that audience and try not to upset them, you're basically saying you're okay with it. You're cool with it. And I thought, oh God, that's a real betrayal of all the decent folk who actually support us and follow us. So let's let's not do that. I think there's probably that. There's then realizing you have a uh, that I have a small platform, but I have a platform compared to some of these people. So it's important for me to try to help spread good, amplify good is kind of my thing. I like to try to do and remind myself. It's kind of my. It's not a slogan for me, but it's like an in, interior internal slogan for myself. Is like amplify good things. So I think it's important for me to do that kind of thing. And I think also it really became evident, like I said, in the past few years where it's like, I need to tell people where I stand. I once had, I'll tell you this really briefly. This is, this is probably one of the turning points because this would have happened in like 2016, maybe 2016, 2017. And I was at, I just finished, um, we'd come from an event where I was asked to introduce a comedian and uh, the comedian was amazing and, and wonderful and really, really funny. And uh, I thought I would, uh, I'd never done that before. So I got some advice on how to, like, well, how you introduce can- comedians, which, by the way, when you're introducing comedians, you never be funny. That's the thing. You just don't mm-hmm. do that, which is like, okay, all right, I got that. Uh, luckily, it's not that much of a stretch for you to not be funny. So that was easy. We finished the event. I was at this bar, and then these two guys came up to me. And, and well, one guy first initially tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, uh, Excuse me, judging by the way you're dressed, I'm going to say you lean heavily to the right and quite conservative. <laughs> I was like, Oh, God, no. And then my immediate response to him was out of nowhere. My response was, Listen, pal, I'm like uh, one good sandwich away from communist and gay. And it was like, I'm presenting 
some sort of image as this sort of white middle-aged dude. And I was like, well, I have to, com- I don't have to combat that necessarily, but I do have to kind of make sure people know where I stand on some of this stuff. Cause I was being roped into, that was the conversation those guys got into was like super racist and super awful. And they were denying things like systemic racism. And I was like, guys, we are like three white dudes in a bar in a predominantly white town. Yeah. There's systemic racism. Don't worry about it. It's like, well, we, we will rather worry about it. It's like, don't doubt it. So it, it became really important to me to kind of like stand up and sort of say, you know, if, especially if I'm this white middle-aged dude from the suburbs, I need to kind of make it clear to people that that doesn't mean a certain set of things. And also to say to other people who are white middle-aged dudes to be like, yeah, you should probably stand up to this stuff too. Same thing for when you mentioned about the Canada Day thing where we spoke about, you know, every child matters with the residential schools, even right down to like a lot of my shtick is is being very proud to be Canadian. Our merch line is peacelovecanada.ca and it's peace love Canada, the, the three emoji type symbols. And I thought, well, I have to address that too. So I made it very clear. It's like, if you want to wear this, here's what it means when you're wearing this to me, because I'm the guy that made it. It means that you're basically saying F you to racists. It's you're saying we did terrible things. Let's fix them. It's, it's all that stuff. I thought it's really important to state it because I have a platform to state it. Plus people are assuming things about me if I don't state it. It's really, really fascinating. And I think it's super commendable that you are willing to discuss those things. Because like I said, there's just a lot of people that are nervous and can completely understand why that's the case. But it is important mm-hmm. for people like yourself to engage in those types of discussions and to do it in a manner that is very reasonable, very mm-hmm. practical to bring people together, to create bridges versus sort of burning them, which is often the case. And that actually <laughs> leads me to... Uh, One last question that I have for you, which is that social media to me is fascinating because I I grew up in the journalism world where like, I I remember reading the newspaper every day. I watched the news, things of that nature. And there were these power structures that existed in media that you needed the dominoes to fall a certain way if you were to become a columnist in that, you know, for that newspaper to become a reporter for that place. A lot of things had to work out right for you and you needed some breaks along the way or somebody that would open the door for you. And what social media has done is just kick that door in and just said, no, I don't need you to tell me that my content is good enough or mm-hmm. that I can build an audience. I'm going to go do that myself. And you're certainly a good example of that. Somebody that has just taken it upon themselves to produce their own content and to create their audience. And this comes looking beyond yourself. It's good and bad in the world at large, because there are certainly people that have audiences that you, you might think to yourself, oh, it might be better for the world if that person did not <laughs> have a microphone, right? And so I bring that up because this is sort of the blessing and the curse of social media that on one hand, everybody has a platform and a voice, which is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, everybody has a platform and a voice and that exactly. can be quite dangerous. Yeah. And so for you, your content is really a family affair. Your wife, Shannon, is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, your son, Gregor, has an audience of his own, especially with your son and as a father. And then just looking as somebody that does share nuggets of wisdom with the world. How do you reconcile sort of the role of social media in terms of making sure that it's productive and not destructive? When both Owen and Gregor and myself were creating content on Vine, we got like subjected to a tremendous amount of awful, awful comments, hate comments and threats and all that kind of stuff. And my response to the boys at that time was always like, well, first of all, we don't know what the rest of the day was like for those people. This is just 
obviously blowing off steam or jealousy or it's pain or it's something. It very rarely has anything to do with you specifically. It's just more a case of something that it's a, a cry for help or a cry for attention or whatever. In the internet, I think, you know, I've also often said to them that, you know, the internet is the big bad world. Like that's, it's like you've been dropped in the center of any big city like Toronto or New York or wherever. It's everything that's good in the world and it's everything that's bad in the world. It's just all there. You just get it all. So it's up to you to kind of navigate through that. And I think as you get a platform like we've been fortunate enough to build, it's really important to try to amplify the good parts of that. And as you mentioned, exactly, it's great that everyone's got a voice. It's also really awful that everyone has a voice uh, because it's really hard to wait how much of those voices you should listen to. And, you know, usually the case is it's very few of those voices actually matter or are actually giving you valuable information. So it's important to kind of carefully navigate through it. Don't take everything at face value and remember that people are really kind of just shouting into the void and hoping they get a response. And, and if they're making awful comments and saying awful things and doing awful things, they're sort of just putting it out there and sort of seeing what's happening. A comedian who I like a lot, Billy Connolly, has a great line where he says, you know, social media has this ability to make these causes and, and efforts and perspectives seem like they've got value and they've come to life when it's really just some guy in his underpants in his mom's basement. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of it. Like you kind of have to you know, realize that. And then when you get to a point like myself, I sort of realize myself, it's like, I'm, I'm very much putting myself out there in the public. I'm trying to take a stand on things without being too preachy because I'm an idiot. Like why, you know, don't listen to me. I can just tell you I'm an idiot. You should go think harder about this. And I kind of, I live and die by, by that. So I want to make sure that the information I'm putting out there is at least, you know, not terrible and it's not bad and it's, it's doing more good than, than harm. And I think if you can pull that off, then you're using social media correctly. Yeah. Well, you know what? I just as a, a consumer of media and people that work with content creators all over, I've always really appreciated your willingness to discuss those types of difficult topics and to sort of do your part to advance the world in a more constructive way. And uh, okay. certainly appreciate an opportunity to, to chat with you and have a constructive conversation. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for your time, Stuart. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. For more on Stuart, check out at BrittleStar on the World Wide Web. And as always, for the latest in digital marketing news on the world of technology, visit us at theinfluenceagency.com and follow us online at InfluenceAgency. We'll see you next time.